0: back this is minus 16 and i'm your host david and i'm joined on the podcast this time around once again with mac rumors hartley charlton there's been quite a lot happening since we last caught up hartley and i there's the release of the new os mac os ventura we'll be talking about that stage manager and continuity camera so let's welcome onto the podcast hartley welcome back to minus 16 we've managed to get hartley back with us for one more time this year how are you keep my friend I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me back. Always, always a pleasure. Now, we'd, we'd always intended to try to get back together again one more time before the end of the year. And I guess it's going to be almost like a, an end of term report. We'll probably do a little bit of a look back over the year because it's been another busy, busy year. But uh, you're the professional here. And I'm just wondering what's, what it's like for you guys once you get the, the hell that must be September and October out of the way. Is this wind down towards the end of the year? Is it just a little bit of a, we can breathe again?
1: I think so. I think that it's it's always a little bit of a challenging time in some respects because we want to be able to provide to provide interesting news and that's really what we're in it for is is uh, breaking news and seeing things as they emerge. So it can be a little bit deflating when there's, there's less news, but it sort of pushes you um, harder to come up with uh, interesting content and to resurface things from the year that people may well have forgotten because there's always rumors that have just sort of got lost or um, you know, rumors about products that weren't out yet at times when uh, other products that are now released were also being rumored. So they sort of faded away a little bit. Um, but I think that Writers ultimately always complain when they, they don't have enough to write, but then they also complain when they have too much to write. So you can't really win either way.
0: I guess, from what you're describing, almost similar to myself, and that we work better under pressure to some degree. When there's a deadline, when you know you've got a load of content coming your way that you've got to be up to date with, you kind of work at your best almost, don't you?
1: Definitely. I, I work like that. I find you need to get into a, a rhythm uh, with productivity and with writing. So I find it much easier... Um, and much less exhausting to write five articles in a day than to write one. And actually, a day when I don't write any articles can be just far more uh, taxing than than a day of writing loads because you don't get into the the groove of of writing in the same way.
0: Actually, just from my point of interest, and I don't wish to, I don't think it's presumptuous to call myself a writer, but from one to another, do you write every day? Is that how your workflow goes? Uh, yeah. You will settle down and you know obviously your job is working with Mac Rumors, so you will sit down and you will write content every day.
1: Yes, um, and I usually uh, I write some different areas of the website, so there is always something for me to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if I am not breaking news, um, I might be obviously looking around for for news to cover. Um, but if there is no news to cover, then I can switch to uh, updating some of the other sections of the website because we have sections on Mac Rumors for existing products. But of course, those are developing in real time. There is new, there are new updates, new features, um, and of course, new rumors for every product on a rolling basis so there's always something that needs to be updated or we write uh buyer's guides and comparisons so there's there's always something new to write
0: and it seems now almost certain that we're not going to be getting another event this year for a long time after the event in what was it September there was almost there was a lot of rumour that we were going to be getting a, a November event that clearly seems to have gone by the by now I know Tim Cook almost said so when he said that the the product lineup is set for the year. And that was as good as a giveaway as any, I suppose.
1: Yes, it was a little bit unexpected because we have been expecting some new Macs for quite mm. a long time. There are some machines in the lineup, uh, such as the 2018 Mac Mini, which has obviously been around for an extremely long time at this point, and not to mention the two-year Apple Silicon transition. So we knew there were new devices that should be coming. So it's a, it's a little bit unexpected that there's not more. Uh, but in other respects, it does sort of make sense. And something always felt a bit wrong to me about there being in particular new MacBook Pros um, because of the the chips, um, where there is the opportunity for these chips and indeed for the Mac Pro to be fabricated with a three nanometer f- uh, fabrication process, which Apple hasn't used before. And they're actually not really on any consumer electronics, which would unlock significantly better uh, performance and efficiency. So all of the M1 and M2 chips are fabricated with 5 nanometer. The A16 is manufactured with 4 nanometer. And this is the next step, 3 nanometer. And we knew that those orders were in for the end of this year, but quite late at the end of this year. Mm. So th- to me, it always felt like there was something a little bit wrong about these new devices coming uh, now. It realistically was was always going to be next year. I think it's perhaps just wishful thinking that it was going to be so
0: soon. So with the Mac Pro, and clearly it's quite a, a niche uh, product it's, it's not a device that everyone's going to need want or afford do you think part of the reason for holding that back was that when they bring this to us when it comes to market it's got to shock and awe because my view is it's it's the pinnacle it's the absolute zenith of what everyone's going to look at that a mac is capable of whether most of us get to ever need or use it is beside the point almost it's just got to showcase apple at their peak
1: yes um and i think that the, the issue with the Mac Pro was that they they need to be able to show something that is the, the real embodiment of what Apple Silicon can do. Mm. Um, and we know from what uh, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman has said that there was an M1-based Mac Pro in the works. It was ready to go, but they chose not to release it, which would suggest that they are waiting for something bigger and better. Now, in my view, that's got to be three nanometer Because Apple Silicon, for as long as it remains on 5 nanometer or um, 4 nanometer, which behaves very similarly to 5 nanometer, it's only 3 nanometer that is going to be able to provide this massive performance and efficiency boost. So if they can show that off alongside a new design and some modularity and maybe some new ways of thinking about desktop computing, um, that's going to need perhaps a little more time than they initially thought they would need when they set out this roadmap, which was ultimately a, a long time ago, if you think about when they... They made that announcement mm. at WWDC. Um, they, of course, will have made that decision months beforehand. So you're talking over, well over two years ago at this point, and things change.
0: Something tells me there's obviously been a, I don't have a spanner really in the works, but it might have been a small hiccup during the course of the summer, because, of course, we all remember that <laughs> much-repeated line from John Turners about that's for another day with reference to the Mac Pro. One would suggest that at that point then at WWDC they were thinking we have still got this in line for the end of the year and suddenly it just didn't happen for whatever reason. Maybe it was the three nanometer, maybe it was the supplier that just wasn't quite ready. They weren't quite as developed as they would have liked. And they've decided and I think that's the right idea, rather than rush it through to hit that two year deadline, is just to rein it back in and be ready, absolutely ready. And I think that a lot of the customers
1: that are interested in the Mac Pro won't mind waiting mm. um, because the the sort of customers that buy those systems, they may have upgraded them. They've got those PCIe slots filled up. And if you are not that sort of customer, you probably have already bought a Mac Studio. So I think Apple doesn't mind keeping you waiting. It's not like a, a, a MacBook Pro where they know it is such a mass market device that they need to keep that updated all the time. Um, the, the Mac Pro is something that is is so much more niche that... Um, and and also the 2019 revision of the Mac Pro was such a step forward mm. that they don't really need to uh, to work too hard to replace that in, in a hurry. I mean, they they do need to do it next year, but the, I I personally think they can take their time because the 2019 Mac Pro is such a a solid device that did what and and still does do what people who buy that device wanted to do. When you compare it to what they did before that with the the quote unquote trash can Mac Pro from, uh, from 2013.
0: So a couple of questions. First of all. Uh, You've mentioned modularity a couple of times. I'd be interested to know what your take is and how you think they're going to approach that, because of course, that'll be something brand new for Apple Silicon. We've not seen any suggestion of modularity. And have you ever had reason to work on a Mac Pro? I've never touched one. I've never worked with one. I don't know how they feel, how they perform. Has Apple Silicon and the M1 Max Ultra, has that kind of already spoiled the party to some degree?
1: Uh, Well, I I actually used to be a Mac Pro user, because I used to do quite a lot of video editing. Um, So, that served my purpose. I had the 2013 Mac Pro. And the real reason why uh, users are attracted to these devices, if not for their modularity, because certainly the 2013 Mac Pro wasn't very modular, it was for the ports. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just for that extra layer of performance and the fact that the the thermals can be pushed so far in these devices in a way that they can't be in others. You know, if you're working with multiple displays or you've got lots of external drives, it it gives you that headroom that other Macs uh, simply don't. and I suppose that in terms of how this will work going forward, this is really the big question because we actually don't know anything for sure. Um, but it's got to be different to the Mac Studio because the Mac Studio, although Apple calls it modular, what they mean by modular is the fact that you can connect a keyboard and an external display. You can change the external display. They, they mean that that setup on your desk is modular, um, but that's not modular in the sense in which we're meaning it. We're meaning it in the sense that you can actually open it up and change the parts. Mm. Um, and I think that you're not you're not going to be able to change the uh, the processor in all likelihood. It's possible, but it seems unlikely that Apple would want to allow you to do that um, in a way that you currently can in the Mac Pro. You also won't be able to change uh, the graphics cards because that is also part of Apple Silicon. It seems possible that perhaps there could be something like the Afterburner card, which is also custom silicon, that could integrate with the device. Um, but the areas where they're perhaps is more likely to be customization, will be the storage um, and the memory. The memory is soldered to the the main Apple Silicon board inside all of the Apple Silicon Macs to date. So something that uh, John Gruber suggested actually on a recent episode of our podcast, The Mac Rumor Show, was that Apple may offer you the opportunity to upgrade the memory beyond that. So you have two kinds of memory. That would be one thing that would make sense to me. Mm. Um, And I think that those PCIe slots have got to stay ultimately. Um, Even if it's not to connect graphics cards, um, there are people that use those to connect hard drives or to create more ports on their device. So even if it's just two of them, uh, that will help really separate it from the Mac Studio.
0: And will you guys at Mac Roomers, I assume, you will be getting your hands on a Mac Pro when they become available?
1: Yes. So that will be uh, Dan, our videographer. Um, who also he makes be me laugh? It will be, <laughs> He's a great lad, yes. isn't he? <laughs> so he, will, he will be the one that really uh, puts it through its paces because the rest of us don't have any sort of workflow that would even get near to pushing uh, what the Mac Pro can do. So he uh, was a user of the 2019 Mac Pro, actually, until Apple Silicon moved him over to the uh, 16 inch uh, M1 Max MacBook Pro. So it'll be interesting to see how those devices compare. And I expect. Mm. The Mac Pro has always been a very niche product. It's always been a very expensive product. You know, in the UK, it's about, I think, about uh, five and a half thousand pounds, something in that range, starting price. And that's only with 256 gigabytes of uh, storage. So it's it's comparatively not even that powerful. You would really need to be spending 10,000 pounds or more before you're actually getting to something that is seriously powerful. Um, but now you've got the Mac Studio. And now that Apple Silicon has sort of recalibrated um, who is interested in these devices and you've sort of brought more power to um, a lower price point, it means that there should be theoretically even fewer people interested in the Mac Pro and it was already a niche product. So it will be interesting to see what customers are really going to be thinking, I want the Mac Pro over the Mac Studio, because that really is not going to be that many. Maybe professional uh, movie studios, people with very intense sort of uh, machine learning requirements but it's going to be a niche a niche device but it's got to be the you know the crowning achievement of apple that's exactly right yeah
0: and that's what i've always thought i mean for most of us just doing average video editing for the youtubes of this world and so on i mean what we've got now with apple silicon m1 max is which uh, was what i work on they're more than capable so it really has got to be for those high-end studios you'd have thought wouldn't you with massive workflows the sort of workflows
1: that require that uh, modularity over time, and that's even why ultimately the Mac Pro came on wheels because it needed to be. Uh, well, you could you could get a wheel upgrade kit for about six hundred pounds, <laughs> so you could wheel it around your office because they knew that that was that was the situation in which these devices would be used. So whether we'll even uh, whether it'll need to be so big anymore, we don't know. So maybe there won't be
0: wheels on it anymore. But tell me, uh, uh, why do it's, we like it's, Apple? It's
1: a different class
0: of computer. Only they could charge for wheels, right? Only Apple. Exactly. Uh, and charge that much. <laughs> they are very nice wheels, actually, I have to say. Yes, I'm sure they're very well-engineered wheels. So even towards the end of this year, there's been quite a lot of business going on. And one of the last big releases, of course, was the OS Ventura has come out for, I think when we last spoke, you were running betas of it, weren't you? Um, yes. And now I've, put, in fact, this year, for some foolish reason, virtually within a, a few days, I put it on to my machines. I think because I'm not, because I'm no longer on radio and radio software is very old fashioned and you have to wait a long time before they catch up. But now things have changed for me. I thought I'm safe to put it on pretty quickly. And you know what? It downloaded and installed and ran really, really easily. I use a lot of Waves plugins, audio plugins. They were already, uh, Adobe's Creative Cloud Suite worked perfectly. I mean, I shouldn't be, I'm recording an audition at the moment, so maybe I shouldn't be. (laughs) I'll tap some wood, but it was a really good install. How did you find it?
1: Uh, I didn't notice the, the the smoothness of it in quite the same way because where I was running uh, the beta versions, I had to I, I was moving off a beta to the, the main release, so the, the the differences were incremental, of course, to each upgrade that I did. Um, but I don't know if it's quite as stable as some older versions of macOS. I think that Apple's standards in terms uh, and quality control in terms of software is not what it was, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but it's definitely not as rickety as some releases have been. I would give it sort of, uh, I don't know, say three out of five stars. It's it's not it's not the the most solid release, but it's it's uh, also uh, definitely not as headache as inducing as some others have been in my experience, at least.
0: Part of the reason I enjoy having you on so much is your wealth of knowledge and the, the resources you can call up on. And so you're saying saying that this release was actually not as good as some of the others that you've seen then, going the last betas into the full release. You've seen better transitions, have you?
1: Uh, I think so, yes, because the the problem is is that macOS in particular is such an old operating system. At this point, it's been around for, what, about 30 years, um, and it's still, in many respects, it, it's built on the same technologies. It's the, it's the same operating system. It's obviously a lot more advanced, but mm. th- there's a lot of old bugs in there, and it, 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 it will always be like this to some extent unless Apple devotes a lot more time to it. But this system has to be well-optimized to run on such a large number of Macs, not just Apple Silicon Macs, also all of the the Intel Macs that are still supported. And it means that they can never squash every bug, and there will always be some behavior that's, that's not um, uh, expected. Uh, you know, I've got a, a Mac Mini. And it does not run fantastically well on the Mac Mini, but it runs perfectly on the M1 uh, MacBook Pro. Mm. And it just the, the the performance ceiling of the Mac Mini just can't quite handle it. And it definitely ran uh, Big Sur uh, much, much better. But of course, that was the, the operating system that was available when that machine first came out. So... Maybe it is different if you're using an older older machine, but it's generally the case with macOS that people choose to keep it on an older system past a certain point because it just runs better.
0: I mean, I've got one Mac sitting here which now has actually passed that shelf life of getting updates as a 2015 iMac. I love that machine dearly. I'm sitting looking at it over there now and uh, it's not going anywhere, but it just doesn't get the updates anymore. But fair enough, it's seven years old now and that's quite a long time for any company to be offering updates for. So it's, it's fine, it's served its time. But with me this year getting the operating system on so quickly, it was I've enjoyed using some of the new features, which normally I don't get to play with f- until after Christmas generally, uh, particularly in Mail. There's been some big uh, upgrades in the Mail app and, of course, in the uh, Messages app as well. And system settings is something I'd like to talk to you about. Now, they've gone far more down the route of it looking like an iOS device, and I've read plenty on Twitter with people disliking it. I happen to really like it. I think it's a very simple clean system. And you kind of if you're used to using an iOS device, you're immediately going to know where you are with it.
1: Uh I I understand I understand that perspective and I understand why they did it because obviously that is Apple's perspective and they wanted to provide a consistent experience across devices. They want it to be so that maybe you maybe you know a lot of people nowadays their first device will be an iPad, not a Mac mm. and at some point in their life they will have their first Mac coming from an iPad. and they want to be able to make sure that when you do have to use system settings, it provides a, a consistent experience. The issue uh, I think that there is with it is that it doesn't actually do that. It doesn't, the things are not in the same places as they are on the sure. iPad. It doesn't, it doesn't actually have the same toggle switches. Um, and it doesn't animate in the same way, which means it feels like a completely different experience. So it begs the question if you're not going to make it the same, same as, but your intention is to make it a consistent experience, why, why do it in the first place? Um, when it actually is upsetting uh, a, a, a user interface that has been there, as I say, for decades, and people are very, very used to it at this point, and people get very attached to that sort of thing, because ultimately using uh, any app on a touch interface where you have um, a, lev- a, a much lower level of precision uh, because the, just the, the the point of contact is much larger is completely different to the pixel precision of a cursor. So it shouldn't always be the case that Mac behaves in the same way that an iPad does, and the ipad behaves in the same way that a phone does and it's a little bit worrisome when apple starts to go down that path so i think that's that's where a lot of the discontentment comes from
0: so if i was to ask you yes or no system settings as previous or now system preferences or system uh, as settings pre- your, your preferences as previous. Boy. one thing that most definitely actually i must have wasted 10 or 15 minutes with on the morning that i think i downloaded you can't change the it's not in alphabetical order and that's i can't There's some idea that it's, you know, some of it's display, some of it's sound, but it jumps around a little bit. And then I thought, well, the easiest thing is just to put it into an alphabetical order, but you can't. I think if you go up to file and drop down, you then get everything that's there in alphabetical order. But in the main screen, the panel screen that we see, you can't alter it, can you, at all? And it's very narrow. That's the only thing I'd say. You can't expand it out yes because
1: it's it's meant to look sort of like it does on the phone where they have, have predetermined order for uh, as it is on the phone and of course the phone is very narrow mm. so it's providing it's it's intended to provide that but of course what what system preferences was doing before was it was like a shelf of icons and because the the emphasis was on the icons they were very distinctive and very easy to find what you were looking for because they were very obvious it was things like Networking, which of course is a completely different sort of menu than what you need on an iPhone where you're just basically interested in Wi-Fi. You don't have to worry about Ethernet or any of these other things. So the the, the, dem- the demands are different. Um, and that's why I think it's, it's just been a bit of a miss and I hope that they continue to iterate on it because I think it can work. I think the ideas behind it do make sense because mm. it is... You know, we can't we can't cling to things forever without expecting them to be modernised. I understand that that need to provide a consistent experience and an easy on-ramp, but they just haven't met the goal that they set out to achieve. I think.
0: And within the apps I was talking of, Mail, for instance, now one of the things I've only used it, well, one of the ones I use quite regularly actually, because of now messaging, uh, emailing so many people in the states is the scheduled email now i know that's been available in other clients mail clients for a good long while i think gmail for instance i've always used mac mail i've kept native i've really enjoyed being able to schedule so i know they can land on their desk i have this idea if it's at their desk at eight o'clock in the morning i have more chance of being seen and if i just send it you in the middle of their evening um so i've quite enjoyed using schedule mail I've, i think i've only used unsend once i think when i realized i put an attachment on for the wrong person kind of thing but there's some nice upgrades that we should have been having over the... I mean, Mail's been missing any upgrades, serious upgrades, for a good many years now, hasn't it?
1: Yes, Mail has been one of those apps that's really been left behind for a long time. Uh, it, it's it's more or less the same as it was about 10 years ago, prior to this year. Um, and even this year, it's it's visually the same. There's been no design updates. These are just little additions of functionality that have been in, available in third-party clients for years. Um, so I, i'm I'm pleased they're there um, mm. I, the only thing that really has been uh really useful to me is the improvements to search because search was terrible before. I was just gonna say that um. And the way that now it's able to understand what you even want to search for much more distinctively. I mean, it's such a basic feature. It's it's always ridiculous to talk about that you just search for what you want and you manage to find it. But that, that is something that it just didn't
0: do very well before. It's only recently, I've, since this update's come out, that I've seen people mentioning that search is awful. I'm so glad it wasn't me because I would often go into search and I just, for the life of me, couldn't find an email that I sent two days before. And I knew I'd sent it, and it was just impossible. It was a needle yeah. in a haystack. And I thought it must be me, but I'm glad I've been born out that it wasn't me being a really poor Mac user. That it was just a glitch in Mac Mail in its search systems.
1: Yes, and it's because it was built on old technologies. Mm. Um, it's, it's something that is not using the same sort of algorithmic systems and rich results that really should be there now. But Apple's whole search conundrum is a, is a whole separate discussion because Spotlight also seems to have taken a massive setback. Uh, in this release, particularly also on iOS and iPadOS. OS, um, but it, it is worthy of mentioning because, of course, these are these are the same teams that are developing this software, um, and you know Apple is rumored to be working on a, a replacement for Google Search, uh, and if they've if they've taken ten years to just work out how to search for an email effectively, it doesn't bode particularly well no. for a, you know, a fully fledged search engine. Did you,
0: did you just say that it's the same teams that work on the iPad iterations of this as it is for Mail for Mac? So I would have thought
1: uh, I, I, believe it's uh, the Apple Search team. It's right. got about uh, about a hundred employees, and they focus on things like the answers that Siri provides mm-hmm. um, and the algorithms that are behind search um, in in Spotlight and inside apps. Um, and so, uh, also for things like the App Store, um, it's it's the same sort of algorithms that are driving it. Um, because it enables them in things like spotlight theoretically to surface things like news or weather. Um, but I imagine most users would say that it's not doing
0: that for me because it just doesn't do it very well no I mean I, I to, when when I, I I read as you did about the idea of doing a Google search replacement of their own and I just thought surely I need to focus on the problems I've got in hand just for the moment get everything yes. right on the basics before going on to that next next stage of the journey for them now, Stage manager was something when we last spoke, I couldn't throw, well, I often don't throw anything meaningful into the conversations with you, but um, I had no (laughs) use of, I I hadn't used it. I'd only read about it because I don't put beaters on the system. Um, But now, of course, although I'm not an iPad user, stage manager is on the Mac. I was running it on my MacBook Air for a time and I kind of had the the Mac Pro sitting to one side and the MacBook Air sitting to the other side with stage manager running. And it was quite, good insofar as I could have those windows those piles open down the side still an unfortunate term and I could sort of if an email came in or a message came in I could see it without going full screen but one of the things that I remember being really awkward and again please correct me if there's a way around this I don't know I was working on safari so I had I pulled the safari screen to the front I was on internet banking I wanted to use a calculator and as soon as I opened the calculator banking went to the background all I wanted to do was add up what was on the screen, and I didn't seem to be able to do it with it in Stage Manager. It just infuriated. Is that me? Is there a way around that?
1: No, that's that's intended behavior because on the Mac uh, with Stage Manager, and of course we have to say we have to specify because on the iPad it's called the same thing, but it behaves completely Very differently. differently. Um, any new app you open will open on a different stage and then you can switch back to the stage you wanted and then drag it over. Mm. So you have to you have to sort of perform this ritual, unfortunately. Um, and it's more, in t- it, this is the thing is it is intended for people that want a simpler windowing experience that's more distraction-free and maybe want multiple stages. Um, but if you're just switching between apps, it isn't quite meant for that. If you're constantly opening and closing new apps, it's more if you keep a lot of apps open and you put them in their place and you keep them there. Um, this is the this is the same issue that I'm having at the moment, where I'm using it, and I would that's I would actually phrase exactly like you did, where I would say I quite like it, I think I like it, but I, it, it's it it is a bit annoying sometimes, mm. um, and I, I I sort of like the idea of it, and sometimes it's quite nice. Um, I like it when I have a stage with my messages open, and I can sort of see if a message pops in. Exactly or, that, yeah. I appreciate the context. Um, but I'm just not fully sold on it. I can imagine myself turning it off one day. I've had it on for a few, you know for, for weeks at this point, but I can imagine myself
0: turning it off. Well, I, I've never put it on the MacBook Pro because I tend to work there in full screen apps. I, I'd be in Premiere Pro or in, in Photoshop. So for that machine, it works, and that machine is often on nearly all of its life is hooked up to a studio display as well. So that it doesn't benefit me on there. But on the MacBook Air, it's been a really interesting experiment just to see how it was performing. And I've still got it running. But as you said, it's this kind of, yeah, it's, it's useful. It's cute, but I don't know if I'd want it on a, a daily heavy working machine.
1: I think that possibly the best uh, sort of user that would really get a lot out of it would be someone that's never used a Mac before. Yeah. Um, and that is is new to the Mac and perhaps is used to the iPad and wants a really simple experience where they just open Safari and then they click to open mail and that Safari disappears. And then mail is open in a, in a different stage and Safari is visible on the side. Um, that does feel more modern and that is refreshing. But I, I sort of think that the, the whole thing just needs to be thought about a, a little bit more. Um, I mean, it's easy. It's easy to criticise because I don't know what the solution is, uh, but I just I, I agree with you. That is, it's those sorts of behaviours that make you dance around mm. and have more clicks than you need to, when you just want to achieve something quite simple. Um, that could be quite frustrating.
0: I haven't used a Windows machine in many, many years. Do you know how they get around? I mean, have they got anything equivalent to Stage Manager? How do they work with that? Uh,
1: I I also haven't used Windows <laughs> for years. Uh, I mean, my my understanding of Windows is that. Windows is what it says on the tin. It focuses on windows, so it mainly focuses on magnetic snapping of windows, um, where you you sort of you you move your cursor um, on a floating window to an edge of the screen, and it snaps to that edge, which enables you to create a sort of tiled view. Right, um, and it's that emphasis on multitasking and productivity, which fits more in with Microsoft's uh, shtick than than Apple, Apples. which is obviously. Uh, Coming up with about you know twenty different ways of multitasking.
0: <laughs> so if we bring it onto the iPad, then how are you finding it now? Now you can run it both in in full release versions on the iPad and on Mac. Are you finding it any more useful on on iPad? Uh, unfortunately, no. Ooh. I I
1: really tried.
0: You to were like big, yeah. I remember the in the iPad. summer. You liked
1: it. You liked what you were seeing. And I I I sort of I put it on. And then I didn't like it that much and I thought I'd give it a chance. And then I thought I quite liked it and then it just annoyed me. So I turned it off again and then I did this cycle repeatedly. Um, And eventually I've just had enough and I've just turned it off. Um, And I I don't think I'll be going back to it um, anytime soon. I I, I find that it's useful because there's no other way to display uh, more than two uh, apps on screen if you don't want to use slide over or anything more than three apps at all. So if you need to do that for a task you're doing on your iPad, you have no choice. It doesn't mean that it's a good experience. Um, and otherwise, I find most of the time the most productive way to use the iPad is just in split view, um, the classic way with uh, slide over. No matter how clunky that system is, it just seems to to be more um, focused and more uh, more designed to actually give you a productive experience using the iPad. So I, I sort of hate to say it because I really like I the, know. the ambition behind it. And I think it can get there. I really do. Um, I, I just don't think it was ready for this year.
0: What iPad are you working
1: on? Uh, so I have a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, which should, you would think, be the most capable of actually uh, achieving any work on. But I just, I just can't. I've had it for since since release, which is what, April last year. And I still, to this day, have not done a whole day's work on it because you just can't. At least in uh, some people can. I accept some people can. and I get a lot of um, flack for this that I accept if you're a photos editor and you spend a lot of time on the go and you like interacting with touch, it is perfect for you. Um, and I accept that there are those workflows. You know, if you go to coffee shops and you don't want to be distracted and you want to you know, just have your music and slide over and, and write in one app, it's fine. But I am used to a Mac and it, it it is slow compared to a Mac, not in terms of performance, but just in the time it takes to do things. things. The yeah. lack of cursor precision. Um, you know, for example, say at Mac Room I might need to grab an image, resize it, um, change the file format and upload it very quickly to WordPress. Um, that will take me five to 10 times as long to do on an iPad. Mm. And that's not just because I'm not used to it. Um, it's just not as well optimised. And without that precision, you just
0: can't, unfortunately. It's interesting. You said your iPads are a year old. You mean you hardly weren't tempted with the magnificent new machine that was released only weeks ago to be up to date and running the latest bit of hardware? Everything was changed about it. It was a brand new machine. Surely you must be tripping over yourself to get your hands on it, right?
1: Well, you know, I, I I think it was more underwhelming than, than our than our worst fears. Um, you know, we we thought maybe at least we'll see a you know an interesting wireless charging system or or something, but um, I think you'd be you'd be very hard pushed to to find any differences that actually make any difference to your daily life.
0: Is iPad just getting a little bit lost? Do you think at this point? I
1: think that it. I think it's lost, but I think it's more that it's that Apple is using it um, as an experiment. And they use it where they throw all of their their ideas. You know, what if we put uh, a LiDAR scanner on a device? What if we have a mini LED display on a device? Um, what if we have a different cantilever system for a keyboard? And they just throw their ideas on it. And they hope that, that means it will be the most innovative platform, but it actually just means it's the most unreliable.
0: Oh, so almost using like a real-time beta tester out in the world for us to do all the hard lifting on it to find out what's going to work on iphone almost and what's going to work on the Mac? just yeah, yeah. actually that makes a lot of sense Nave said it because it just at the moment it doesn't seem to be going anywhere it's such a capable machine I, is it, and for the very reasons you've mentioned is why out of all the products i've got no interest in lining apple's pockets with money for an ipad because i just don't see where it's going to fit into my workflow or benefit me at all i'm desk based most of the time I think- and why would i need it most people that have an iPad would say that
1: they use it for content consumption, mm. and they use it to watch Netflix. They maybe use it to check some emails, probably not even reply to the emails on there, just check them, um, and just do some some light browsing. You know, if you're uh, you know you're you're looking something up and you you're not at your desk or you don't want to use your phone, maybe you're you're sitting up in bed or something, and that's the that's the device you would choose to use. Um, but generally, the average person is not using their iPad for more than that. So it's a nice it's a nice additional device. And I have had um, at times when I've just sold my iPad in, in years gone by where I've thought, you know, I'm not really using it that much. I'll just see how I go without it for a few months. And I do always end up buying one again. So it does have its place, um, but it's just never quite what you want it to be. Uh, and it's always got this sort of edge of disappointment to it, which I think is a real shame. I mean, I'm sure if you're an illustrator, and you use the Apple Pencil, or maybe you're you're a uh, a student and you don't have a Mac, and it's your main machine. Uh, it's very capable, and I'm sure you would get an awful lot out of it, especially illustrators, as I say, with mm-hmm. the Apple Pencil. Or if you like taking handwritten notes, um, I can't think of anything better. So it it can be useful, but. I, I would say you're not missing out on much. I have worked alongside
0: computer. some photographers who swear by it because they're so used to the, the pencil touch that they can edit photos really well. They can work just as fast on an iPad as I can work on a Mac with a, a mouse and a touchpad. So yeah, it has got its place. It's just for me, you know, if I'm going to waste my money on Apple products there's other things I'd rather get to first. By the way, since we last spoke and talking of wasting money on Apple products, I did get an iPhone phone, iPhone 14 Pro and also an Apple Watch. I now can talk to you meaningfully next year about the benefits of Apple Watch and I realise what i are missing out on. I really do. To the point that Apple have now got more money out of me on Apple Fitness Plus and I now subscribe to Apple One. So I do workouts with Apple Fitness Plus every day now. So the watch really has made a big difference to me. And I think we should get your voice actually on their Outside Walks series of uh, podcasts they have. I don't know if you've listened to those, have you?
1: Oh really? <laughs> they're they brilliant those. Yes, books. I
0: have. I have. Jamie, I've listened to Jamie Oliver, Jane Fonda, Stephen Fry. Uh, I've been out walking many mornings listening to them. And you're I think you should get on there. I'm gonna get have a word. See if we can get you on there reading one of those oh, podcasts. Well, it,
1: it would, it would it would be my pleasure, but um I'm not I'm not sure Apple take too too kindly to uh to Mac Rumors and some of our <laughs> some of our articles. So I'm not too sure of the chances
0: of that. But Apple Watch is one of those weird things. It's hard to explain to somebody quite the benefit it is until you start wearing it. And once you've got it and it's been on your wrist for a little while, then you start to see the benefit of it, don't you?
1: I think it's because most people think that it's just an iPhone. They think mm-hmm. it's just an iPhone on your on your wrist. So why do you need that? I've got an iPhone. But it, it's not. It's, it's so much um, simpler. And in being simpler, it's a lot more focused. It's almost the complete opposite of the iPad. It's not trying to do very much. And so the things that it does do, it does extremely well. Fitness tracking, health, notifications. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it really. Um, you, you obviously can do other things. It's good for making payments on the go. It's good for, um, uh, if you, if you just need to take a, a quick call and you don't have your phone to hand, but it's, it's these simple concepts, communication, notifications, I, um, and that's
0: why I think it, it works so well. I wrote about it a couple of months back and I said, I think I saw along the lines of, it's polite. There's no urgency to it. I love the way during the day, if you're sitting at your desk for too long, it will just remind you, it might be time to stand. And it just has the phone always seems very urgent and snap. You've got to take the message, you've got to answer the call. With Apple Watch, it's all just this idea of your well being seems to be, I don't know, maybe I'm being too romantic about it, but there does seem a difference in there.
1: I think that that's that's exactly what it is, and it's because the 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 things that the watch is encouraging you to do, even with notifications, it's not actually de- demanding that you do it on that device, and you sort of know that you can't. So you obviously can theoretically reply to an email and check your email, um, but it's it's just sort of a, a much gentler way of surfacing those things to you. Um, that's why it actually fits in much better with a, a, a minimalist approach to working. Mm. Um, to the extent that I really hope that one day um, I would be able to just not have an iPhone and only have an Apple Watch. The camera will be the issue. I was that, just going to say, yeah. yeah. yeah, um, But if it were not for the camera, I would really like to go in that direction because I think that it is. it leads to a better quality of life. The less time spent on a phone, the mm. better. Uh, but I think the more time spent with an Apple Watch probably... Also, the better.
0: I think the, the mistake I made, and I might be tempted to sell this one and buy a different one, is I didn't get one with a data card on it. And if I had a data card, I wouldn't have to take the phone with me on my morning cardio at all. I, as you just said, I could be away from the phone for a few precious moments. So that was a bit of a mistake I made. And I think, given my time again, I probably would buy one with a data plan on it and go for a, a, a GPS card on it rather than just going for Wi Fi. I'm conflicted about that because they're quite expensive, especially in the UK.
1: You actually can't get a data plan for. I think the cheapest ones you can get are seven pounds a month, um, which when you're and that those have data caps. So when you're already paying for your phone, Mm. you're then paying seven pounds a month for those situations. So that definitely can work for some people. And if by all means, if I go all in on having using my phone less, then I'm definitely going to um, to be doing that. But it can just make it a little bit too expensive, and I struggle to to justify it at the moment. But you know, maybe maybe in years to come, um, if I can get over this camera issue, that's what I need to work out.
0: Well, we're going to come on to I'm going to segue rather cunningly and beautifully here from data plans to iPhones and cameras, because I'm about to make a big saving for the first time in my life with my phone data plan, because I've actually now come well, I'm about to come off of contract for the first time ever on an iPhone. I actually bought one outright from an Apple store. We are running this interview, Godspeed, on iPhone 14, an iPhone 14 Pro and continuity camera. So I'm about to make a, cause I can now go on to a data only plan on my phone. I'm gonna save about 60 pounds a month, believe it or not. It's gonna be huge, huge. One of the big companies in this country have been having a lot of money off me for many years. And I checked with them beforehand. My I'm gonna come down from about 65 pound a month to about 15 or under 20 pounds a month just for a data card so it was a save and again once you do the maths you work out that over the course of 24 months that's bought the phone it's as simple as that and now in that having bought the phone outright, anyway i can sell it on next year and buy the 15 and not have lost too much money in all honesty so that cunningly brings me around to continuity camera which i love i think it's brilliant now i would say it's brilliant but it's clearly borne out of the fact that Apple have been rubbish at the cameras they've been giving us in their laptop studio displays. <laughs> and just they've obviously had a panicked get together and thought, how do we get around this? Oh, let's come up with a new plan. I mean it's great, but we shouldn't have actually have needed it. I
1: think that it provides uh, a good, a good compromise because there was always going to be a ceiling on what uh mac cameras could do especially macbook cameras there really is no excuse for the studio display because of how thick that is mm. um because that should be a, a best-in-class camera and the fact that it isn't is a whole separate discussion but when you think about how thin the lid of a macbook is they cannot fit um something with a lot of lenses in there with a high megapixel count that's a large camera unit you know think of how thick the phone is the phone is almost the entire thickness of the phone is taken up by camera components um, so they can't do that in a in a in a mac. Now, it's also true that they put a 480p camera on the 12-inch MacBook in 20 that they were still selling in the new one in 2017. So that that is inexcusable and we we can see now that they put 1080p cameras in the Macs which are, are fine. I'm using mm-hmm. one now on mm-hmm. the 14-inch MacBook Pro and I think it's it's fine. It's not the best image, but it's it's serviceable. Um, but continuity camera it just provides that that extra that extra bit of balance and because it's so stable it's one of the most stable and reliable features i think apple has built for a long time well let's hope it lasts Um, the next 15 minutes (laughs) Yes, it's i think it's it's a it's a really solid feature Mm. Uh, my only criticism would be uh when you open your mac and uh, your phone starts pinging at you that it's connecting to continuity camera even when you don't want it but that's a that's a minor complaint really
0: i did a, a big sort of look at it actually on a recent video and uh, I, I was all over i think it's a brilliant feature the studio light works re- i mean i haven't got that now because i've got decent lighting around but the studio light is probably the pick of the three options you've got the desk view have you tried it
1: i have and it's it, it it's not what Apple made it seem
0: like maybe under certain conditions you could get there, but I'm a little bit sceptical. Well, my fingers at least looks like something from an ET movie. They look ridiculously long. I mean, to the point of being laughable. So if you were showing somebody, I'm sure if I was demonstrating something, the client or colleague wouldn't be looking at what I was demonstrating, but just looking at these ridiculously long digits on my hands. Getting it positioned was very accurate. So you weren't just showing your gut or your lap. Trying to get it to show just the desktop. It was very, very particular. It was the one thing I didn't particularly like. I feel it would get you out of jail. And if you definitely had to show somebody what was on your desk while I'm trying to balance a camera, it will do it. But it's it's not quite the, the desk down view that they showed at uh, WWDC. But that to one side, I think continuity camera is brilliant. And it's worked across every app. I mean, this is on Ecamm we're working on now, FaceTime, QuickTime, Zoom. It works with them all, and it's so simple.
1: And, of course, because Apple prevents uh, third-party apps or even third-party webcams working in Apple's own apps like FaceTime and Safari, you don't have any other options if you want to use those apps. Mm. So Apple has uh, has done it once again
0: there. The walled garden comes into play. Uh, one, exactly. Just before we move on away from there, why didn't Apple want to make Their own stand. Why did they hand that over to Belkin? It's such a simple stand. Belkin done a lovely job with it, but surely Apple would have wanted to make money themselves rather than licensing it out, wouldn't they? It's it's
1: strange. And Apple's done this many times over the years. I mean, one of the strangest ones to me that stands out is the LG ultrafine display. Mm-hmm. Um, when they worked with LG to engineer a whole display, especially for the Mac, it behaves like a Mac display. It doesn't have an on button. It's all in on Thunderbolt. Um, and, why, and, they're, and they're horrifically ugly. I have one. Um, and they're not that reliable either. And you think, if you're going to go to the bother of engineering these panels that you're already using for the iMac, why not just just release your own display? Which, of course, they eventually did with the Studio Display, but it, you know it took them what eight years to do it. Um, so it's it's strange that they they do that. Even other things like you think the uh, most recently the the lanyard uh, for the yeah. second generation AirPods Pro. There should be no problem for Apple to just no. make their own little lanyard. The one thing I've actually got this pulled um, up. It's here. like they want to limit their scorekeeping units. To make to make their their own devices more prestigious and appealing, and limit the number of accessories that they actually have on their own <laughs> uh, on their own system.
0: I was I wrote earlier on today saying we was talking about accessories, and I was coming to the conclusion that if they're not in love with accessories, and you almost get the feeling that they're not with some of the laps and sloppy MagSafe accessories they're making at the moment, when other companies are making such good strides forward with what they're giving us, if they're not into it, then just back away and let the other companies do it rather than attracting bad press for poor products. Because, I mean, this Belkin stand, you can see that, can you? Is that on your screen? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a lovely little stand. Mine's the black one. But the only thing that doesn't work is that in the WWDC conference, they showed that stand would be extendable or that there'd be a separate mount that would fit on the studio display. The Belkin stand doesn't move at all, so it only works on the laptops. And it feels perilous on a MacBook Air. Putting that iPhone 14 on a MacBook Air does not feel comfortable. Not for the MagSafe, just for the MacBook Air toppling backwards. <laughs> it feels very counterintuitive to be balancing something so heavy on that. But that's the only thing I wish they'd either made that extendable or have had a second stand available for uh the studio display, because it obviously would have put the camera at a more natural height anyway for video calls. Because um, laptops often tend to be lower down, so I'm guessing that's an easy fix. They can come out with another stand quick enough. But just I, I got it, and it feels lovely. But I was just surprised that Apple didn't engineer that themselves. That was all.
1: Yes, it's a shame. It's it's a bit of a shame. Uh, I think that's that's really the the way to sum up Apple's sort of entire ex- range of accessories and relationship with accessories. Is it's all just a bit of a shame because they can clearly do so much better. You know, some accessories, very very few and far between, such as. Uh, the Apple Pencil, which I don't even know if that counts because it really is its own device, um, and you know AirPods are arguably an accessory as well. Those things are are excellent, um, but where's where's their charger? Where's their simple charger to charge their devices? You know they don't even give you a cable in the box now. I'm happy to spend a bit more on a decent charger for my desk, but I have to look to a, a third party
0: um, because Apple's own offerings are just not there. And before we move on to the last couple of points I was going to mention with you. While we're still in the MagSafe arena, there are are two schools of thoughts developing on how Apple are going to approach the charging ports on the iPhone this coming year, because obviously we know about the changes that are being directed to us from the EU coming to play in autumn of 2024, I believe, don't they? So by the time the next iPhone comes out, thinking ahead, they're going to be up there now. I'm kind of, certainly haven't seen the conference a couple of weeks ago where, who is it, Craig and uh, Jaws were on stage, weren't they? And they were yes. very accurate about what the law said, saying that it was saying that if you had a port, yep, yeah, it had to be USB-C. But of course, as they pointed out, it doesn't mean that you have to use a port to charge. So I'm wondering if we're going to see them slewing towards pushing MagSafe at us, because with the watch, it just turned up, there was a MagSafe charger in there the AirPods now, MagSafe cases, you just wonder if, because that's a proprietary lead, right? So they're going to get a kickback from anybody that makes a MagSafe. Yes. Yeah. So it's part of the MFI plan, isn't it? So in my mind, you can see they're going to go, the only point I would say against that is file transfer still, still remain an issue. So where do you stand? Do you think it's going to go portless or USB-C?
1: Uh, well, in the long term, it will go portless. But I, I feel quite strongly about this um, because there is quite a lot of uh, talk. There's a lot of people just convinced that the iPhone is staying with lightning until it goes completely portless and that the, the rumors of a USB-C iPhone are are fictitious. Um, but they're, they're just not fictitious. They're the most reliable sources um, possible multiple reliable sources have given such specific information about even what USB-C components they will be using next year. So they will be using USB-C. Now, it will be transitory because in the long term, you're right, they will be moving to MagSafe when they have um, got a better ecosystem of MagSafe um, chargers. And crucially, as you say, data transfer. Mm. That is the long-term objective. But if they come out immediately with a MagSafe um, iPhone with no ports, how are they going to sell that? They can't sell that as courage unless they actually can provide you with a quality of life improvement. If they can tell you that you get better battery life as a result of it having no ports or or something that that gives you some sort of trade-off... Um, and we're, we're heading in that direction because we are now hearing that the iPhone 15 is going to have solid-state buttons. So the buttons won't actually be clickable. It That's will be right, a bit yeah. like uh, the uh, force-touch trackpads on on Macs. So it's going in that direction of being more of a, a complete uh, static um, slab of a device. And we, and, you know, even from what they were saying on stage. It's going in that direction, but there is no way, and and maybe I will will eat my words, but I am more sure of this than I am sure of of any other rumour that there's been for an extremely long time, uh, that USB-C iPhones are
0: coming next year. And if they go that route, are you going along the lines that the two non-pro phones will have the slower 2.0 USB-C and the pro phones will have the Thunderbolt USB-C?
1: Yes. So this is what uh, Ming-Chi uh, Kuo, who's uh, the most reliable source when it comes to supply chain rumors, is mm. saying. Um, and uh, yes, I believe him. He knows he knows what he's talking about. Um, and it makes complete sense. Because if you look at Apple's other devices, um, this is what they do. So if we look at the, the iPads that just came out, the most recent devices, the iPad Pro has Thunderbolt 4 and USB-C, um, the fastest variants up to 40 gigabits per second. Um, that is very quick. But the entry-level iPad that they brought out, the 10th generation iPad, that is USB-C, but it is limited to USB 2.0 speeds. Which are no better than Lightning, right? Yeah, exactly the same as Lightning. Hmm. Um, So there is no speed improvement. All you are getting is the form factor of USB-C. So that seems to me to speak for itself. Um, If they had brought out that device with uh, USB uh, 3.1 speeds, which is what the iPad Air has then maybe I would be a little bit more sceptical. But it seems to me that if they're going to want to separate those product lines further and further and further, um, if you want fast wireless data transfer, you need to pay more to get the the pro phone. That's the direction it's going. And in the same way that they would say that with the, the iPad, now that they all
0: have USB-C. And of course, this year they kind of set their stall out with making a very big mark in the sand between the non-pro and pro phones. And I guess that would just be another development of that intentional division between do you want the cheaper low-end phones or do you want to go the pro level uh exactly and that is the transition
1: that you know started several years ago it started with the iphone 11 pro which for all intents and purposes offered m- uh, the vast majority of the same hardware as the uh, uh as the standard 11 Device and then with the iPhone 12, of course, they both shared the same design. Mm. Um, they they used the same components. It was just different casings, effectively, and you got more cameras on the Pro. But with each year, they are separating more and more. And what we're going to see next year is that it won't just be the the sets of two devices that are different. It will actually be each device will offer more features than the device that exists under it in terms of its price point. So this will be the last year, unfortunately, where buying the normal iPhone uh, 14 Pro gets you the exact same feature set as the iPhone 14 Pro Max. Next year, you will have the Periscope camera at the top, which... oh, you think that's coming as, as soon as
0: out. next year, do you, the Periscope?
1: Yes, uh, that's what we're expecting. That will be the telephoto, and that will be uh, the the the... the a feature that is exclusive to that device, mm. um, and that's just a way to upsell you. And there's increasing numbers of these devices, that uh, increasing numbers of these features that are now coming to the fore, that show that this is this is the strategy, um, because they've realised that they need to provide better reason to upsell you. Now, I don't like it as a strategy. I don't think any of us like it because it always means that unless you are unless you want a big phone and you want to spend the most money, you're always missing out on something, um, which. It is a shame because they don't take that approach with say the macbook pro you get the exact same device other than obviously battery capacity which is understandable whether you get the 14, 14 or the 16, 16. inch um, so it's just a shame that it's, it's going in that direction but you know it, it, that really does look like a certainty now
0: so we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that we're kind of done for the year now on events and products um but does this ongoing nagging rumour that we might be seeing something in january now i listened to your podcast with dan mac rumours podcast and I'll, I'll leave a link for that as well it's a brilliant podcast one of my weekly listens but i know you discussed at length there uh about the headset which we're going to mention in a moment and i think you both ended up being on the same page there after a little bit of misunderstanding about when it was going to be shown and spoken about then the yeah. the lead for production and when it would finally go on sale but i wondered if we could even bring it back from what you were saying, because I know you were saying that they're probably going to announce it in spring, then give it through until WWDC for physicals with then going on sale a short while after that. What about if they had a January event, as they did with the iPad, and then it becomes available in the spring event? So if we wind it on three months, do you think that's possible? Is it just not ready yet?
1: Uh, I think that is unlikely, unfortunately. And I think that... uh, this whole rumor of the January event, I want to believe it, but I am skeptical about it. And the reason I am skeptical is because this comes from Ming-Chi Kuo, who we mentioned before. Now, he is very reliable. He does get things wrong from time to time, uh, little details, but he he knows what he's talking about. He has legitimate sources. And he was the one that suggested that it would be January. He suggested an unveiling in January. But the reason why you should take that with a bit of a pinch of salt when it comes from him is he doesn't have sources, it appears, in Apple's corporate side. He knows their supply chain side in Asia. Now, that side of the business is not going to be aware of on-stage events. That's not the same part of the company. Um, so it's it seems to me like he is speculating based on production estimates right. um, about when they would unveil it. And I think that he means more loosely January, February unveiling. Um, because DigiTimes, which is a Taiwanese... Uh, publication that also publishes a lot of uh, very boring articles, actually, about- I have saved my (laughs) favourites, I can testify to that, yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, They uh, say that it's going to be March for mass production. And if it's March, uh, then it's going to take a few months. With the iPhone, it takes about uh, about just over two months before uh, mass production ramps up enough that they're ready to unveil a device. So if it's March- April, May, you know, June, early June, we're getting into WWDC time. So that time frame lines up with what um, Ming-Chi Kuo is saying. So it all kind of fits in. Um, but I, I don't know if there's going to be that much of a fast turnaround when they first unveil it. And so- I think they'll want to savor the, the mystery around it almost when they unveil it. They'll want to say, here's what it looks like. Here's a taste of what it does. Um, but wait for more information, wait for pricing, wait for, you know, exact specifications and a release date in the exact same way that they did with the Apple Watch.
0: Now, I was just going to pull on your your knowledge resources. So say with iPad, which was a January event, right? Steve Jobs announced that in January. Uh, I believe so. Did they do the same teaser? With that, that they showed you this is what you're going to be getting. And that's when he sat in the chair, wasn't it? And famously just pulled it out of the, the envelope. And so, is that, do you think they're going to do the end of event one more thing? I know you mentioned this on, on Mac rumors that you can almost see it being as the final wrap of the event in the spring, saying, this is what you're going to be getting. And at that point, they'll show us physical, they'll give us a, a demo, a, a, a promo video of what it is physically going to look like.
1: I think that it will be more like uh, the Apple Watch unveiling than the iPad because the iPad um, still is a glorified iPhone. Mm. So it was using... At that point, it was running iOS. It was running the exact same thing. It was running the exact same apps. You would run them, in as, as you still do, in, in sort of two-time Zoom mode uh, if you try and download an app like Instagram that doesn't have an <laughs> iPad app um, on an iPad. So they had no... Uh, uh, they had no need to really prepare developers extensively in the same way that they needed to for the Apple Watch and definitely for the headset. Um, and with the watch, it was a one more thing at the end of an iPhone event. And it was, a te- it, it was a brief teaser where, because of course this device, the Apple Watch had been rumored for 10 years at that point and no one quite knew it was coming. And so it's a great event to watch actually to see how they do it because it, it, it's one it's an event I remember so nostalgically because um it's just the music, the the animations, the, the lighting on those products is better than anything else they've done, even in recent years, even though now it's, of course, seven years old, um, because they knew they had to get it right. Um, and they did get it right. Um, and I, so I've, I've lost my train of thought a little bit there because uh, I remember it so nostalgically. Yeah, it's done a different path.
0: Just saying how they're unveiling it and how you think that might compare to the unveiling of the headset. Yes,
1: so that's really the model. And what happens is... Uh, Tim Cook says that you know there's one more thing, and there's all the there's all the cheers for that because people don't quite know what it is even at that point, point. Um, and then there's just a, an animated uh, sort of one and a half minute video that just shows you the design. You know nothing else about the device, and then Tim Cook comes back onto the stage wearing it. <laughs> And then they take you straight into a ten-minute video that explains to you what the device is, what it does. Because you need that. If it's something brand new, mm-hmm. um, you need to know what 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 the what the basic uh, way that you interact with it is. What the ecosystem of, of bands is. How you change the bands. It conveyed all of these things: the hardware and the software. Um, and it's such, a, it's such a good video, that, is, that needs to happen for the headset. They need to show off the design first and foremost, and then they need to sell it to you in terms of actually how it works functionally. Now, of course, the price and actually providing developers with tools does not need to happen at that stage. Mm. They just need to sort of uh, Whip take, the take the rabbit out of the hat and reveal it. Um, that's all they need to do initially so that then they can say in a press release or say at a later date, the developer kit is coming and this is what it's for.
0: Um, they they just need
1: to get over that hurdle.
0: And are you a gamer? And will you be buying? I say gamer, That's probably unfair uh, actually, because it's not a really purely a gaming device, is it? But is is the AR VR world something that interests you? Or are you more tempted and waiting for the AR future, which obviously is going to be further away?
1: I am very conflicted because i I have tried two very recent headset uh, headsets. I have tried both of Meta's headsets, their entry-level one and their most recent um, uh, Quest Pro headset, and I am not sold on it at all. Um, It's not comfortable? It's good hardware. Uh, The the Quest Pro is quite comfortable, but it's just not useful. Um, And even when you use it for multiple displays for your Mac, um, and you get three virtual displays, I think, why am I looking at, at pixels? Why am I projecting light into my eyes? Why am I wearing a big hot rubbery thing it's just this is not this is not a nice experience do, and also the
0: operating system isn't there just uh, briefly explain to us what it's like then having those pixels so near to your eyes does it feel almost laser like is it intense uh
1: not really because the the you adjust the lenses so that your your eyes adjust um to the to the extent that you 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 are looking as though you are looking at something in the distance so it does feel comfortable, but it just—you are aware that you are looking at a screen. You are looking at something where light is being projected directly into your eyes, um, and it, it does have a—it's it, slightly fatiguing. You know, if you're the sort of person that you can sit eight hours looking at a screen without without blinking, I'm sure it won't bother you. <laughs> but if you do, you know, you get restless after half an hour looking at a screen, you are not going to like it very
0: much. Um, you reference so, a brilliant point in I, your I, podcast, actually. I think am I getting the facts right that it suggests that you should stand. Or look away from your monitor after every half an hour, look at something in a distance for of 20 foot away for 12 seconds. There was a brilliant fact you came out with. I love listening to your details, but it's something like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's, 20 mi- it's 20
1: minutes, uh, 20 feet away for 20 seconds. <laughs> so if every 20 minutes, look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds. I was out doing- it's just a, It's a good rehab. I don't do it, but you know, but- there it is for other people.
0: Yeah, I love that detail. It's stuck with me. All those things come Christmas. It's going to be one of those little facts of the year that stick in my ear. Speaking of. Of Christmas, of course, this podcast is going to be going out over the weekend of Black Friday. And there are some deals I've seen going on. I know that a lot of these pertain over to the States, but there are listeners of ours in the States. And um, I've seen there's some great deals on Apple Watch Ultra, on some of the M1 Max MacBook Pros, and on Apple's own website. I do believe that if you buy certain products there, there are gift cards that you get, aren't there, over the course of this coming weekend.
1: That's right. And uh, some are better than others, effectively, is my takeaway on that. Um, The best one that I would be on the lookout for is if you want to introduce someone to the Apple Watch over the Christmas period, there is no better device than the Apple Watch SE. And it is really inexpensive with Apple's deal that they've got on at the moment, because the Apple Watch SE normally costs in the UK £249. Uh, If you buy that uh, from Apple over the, the Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. They also give you a 50 pound gift voucher, with that, which yeah. means it brings the price down to 199 Now that to me seems like a, a real bargain mm. to get the, the, the whole Apple Watch experience. The Apple Watch SE really doesn't do a whole lot less than the Apple Watch series eight. Um, you know, if you're new to Apple Watch, you're not going to care about the bigger display or ECG or uh, any of these other features. So as an entry level device, it's absolutely perfect. Um, but where you get two hundred and fifty pounds off a Mac, you know, maybe you could get that better on Amazon or elsewhere. It's always good to shop around um, effectively with anything you're looking for, especially since Black Friday deals develop over the week and over the weekend. Yeah, um, just look at that time to see what you can find.
0: Is there anything that's tempting you that you've got in mind over this course of this weekend? I think I'm pretty much spent out at the moment, but I don't. Know if there's anything that you're tempted with.
1: Uh, well, I am tempted uh, with with the Apple Watch, as I say, because I think it's a very good Christmas gift. Mm. Um, so that might be the the one the the one that I, I go for. Um, uh, but the other Apple offers, I, I'm not so I'm not so sure about um, because you can generally find better better offers elsewhere. But it depends what you're in the market for, really. Um, and unfortunately, we don't tend to get such good deals here as they get in no. the United States. So uh, it, it can be it can be advantageous to, to bide your time a little bit and also not to assume that you will get a better deal simply by getting it over this weekend. Because something like AirPods are discounted on Amazon the whole year round. They are never sold at, at full retail price. It is always cheaper to buy AirPods on Amazon. Um, and of course, you'll have Prime Day number one and Prime Day number two. So there's plenty of opportunities. Um, if you if you miss uh, Black Friday, don't be taken in by it too much. I would say.
0: And just jumping in, it now makes me realise how many things I bought from Apple this year. I bought AirPod Pro two. Oh my lord! What a pair of AirPods! They are so much better than the original AirPod Pro. So much better. The active noise cancelling is, I mean, there's no way of quantifying if it is twice as good, but I did this silly thing for one of my videos. I went and down to Heathrow by the uh, runways, nearly got arrested for trying to do it, but I put them in as the plane was taking off and it was astoundingly good. And I actually was on a plane, recently. I say that because I've been on a plane for many years, but I flew off to, to Brussels recently and again on a plane, it cut out virtually all of that annoying hum that you get on a plane. Such good products and the sound quality is... Head and shoulders above the original pair. For me,
1: I think they're my most sort of unexpectedly good product of the year because mm. I didn't even like AirPods Pro. I didn't the first generation. I tried them continuously. My partner has a set of them or had a set of them, so I I kept uh, trying them and thinking, oh, you know, I quite like the idea of it. I wish I had noise cancellation and yeah, you know, I sort of I, I, I just, they were always uncomfortable and I, I never I never liked them. And yet the the, the first minute I tried the AirPods Pro 2, I, I was sold. I had to buy them the same day because it was that transformative of a difference. They are. Um, and they are they are excellent. They are such a good up- upgrade. They really are you know are. there's a lot of there's been a lot of fuss this year about things like the Apple Watch Ultra um, even the redesigned MacBook Airs. But I think the, the unexpected victory of the year is actually the AirPods Pro 2, which you even wouldn't expect considering that they basically have the same design.
0: Exactly. They look so similar, but the product, the sound is just so different, isn't it? So different. So Christmas is coming. Do you get time off at Mac Roomers over Christmas? How does it work for you guys?
1: Yes, so we will take uh, we will take the, the main days of Christmas off at least. I mean, of course, we, work, uh, we all work from home. So it's, uh, it's not a tremendous difference for us if we log on for a few hours and, and do some extra writing. But there'll obviously be less news uh, because even, even uh, the sources at Apple take some time off, obviously. So there's less leaks going around. There's, there's just less, less in the system. But we'll all be waiting just in case, you know, on Christmas morning uh, someone leaks the <laughs> iPhone 15.
0: And are uh, you on cover this weekend then for the Thanksgiving weekend as your American colleagues feast themselves on Turkey? Uh, you kind of on cover?
1: Yes, yes, we will be. It's one of the advantages of having people in different time zones. There's always someone around, and but you know, I I joke about it on Christmas quite quite seriously. I I guarantee, if there was a was a significant <laughs> leak on
0: Christmas Day, it wouldn't matter if it was in the middle of the night. We would we would get to, <laughs> it, would get within, to it within minutes, and that's what makes Mac Rumors one of the resources that I always go to when I write my Friday newsletter for the week. It's there's so much great content at Newsnet, and your articles and blogs always come up on there. So. So I'm guessing that's going to probably be it for us for the, for this year. I'm not going to do the whole Happy Christmas, without not doing that. But um, I'm going say early next year, as soon as there's some news that's warranting us having a good discussion, we'll be back together again. But uh, thank you so much for all the times you've been on on the podcast with me this year. You know how much I appreciate it. And your knowledge is second to none so heartily. It's been, as ever, my privilege to have you on. Thank you so much. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. And uh, enjoy the rest of this year. And I'll catch you early next year. Yeah. Definitely. Hartley, thank you so much. Cheers. Many thanks indeed to Hartley. I'm sure we'll be catching up early in the new year and I hope you managed to get Christmas Day off. If you want to listen to his podcast, the Mac Rumours podcast, I'll leave a link for that in the description to this show. And I'll be back with you in a couple of weeks' time. If you want to catch up with me in the meantime, don't forget, head on over to the website, talkingtechandaudio.com. You can hook up with me there and also sign up for the free members newsletter as well. I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Take care and I'll see you then.